0: This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Major David Erickson of Knox. He retired from a career in the military that taught him, as he says, we're all more alike than we are different. He now teaches Albany High School students in the Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. Forty percent of my kids are true refugees, Erickson said, noting they come from every continent but two. His students learn to speak their views and to listen. They are diverse, but learn to work as a team, he said. Erickson loves his work with students he calls my kids and says... The future is bright. I'd like to start just by hearing about your own life, how you got into the military in the first place, and a little about your military career. So I grew up in Albany, but I wasn't born
1: on U.S. soil. In fact, I'm the only living being in my house. Uh, the only living being in my house was born in U.S. soil is our cat. And I say this, <laughs> uh, you'll understand why I told you this later on when we talk. Um, I went to basic training in 1977, which is 44 years ago this April, and I trained as an a armor crewman on a tank. Uh, my first duty station was in Fort Riley, Kansas, where I served for three years. I got out as a sergeant in December of 1980 and returned to school at Siena College the following month. So I, I started school in January of 81. Uh, and then I was commissioned in May of 82 but I couldn't go back in active duty until I finished my bachelor's degree, which was January or December 84, and I went back on uh, active duty in January 1985. So after my uh, basic training course at Fort Knox, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia for three weeks to jump out of airplanes. i tell the kids in school, five night jumps. I closed my eyes five times and went out the door. That wasn't my life dream to be an air parachute guy, believe me. And, and from there, I went to Germany for nine and a half years uh, with a break. I came back for about eight or nine months for an advanced course at Ford Knox. I love Germany, but I got to be honest, my blood flow is red, white and blue. And I always knew I'd retire to the US. Um, I bought this house up in Knox back in 1991. I was still on active duty. I was home on leave. But at the same time, I just want to say living in, living in another country and experience their ideas has given you much better perspective of things in life overall. Um, When I arrived in Germany, the wall wall was up and it came down while I was there. So I went east when the wall came down and saw what 45 years of the one-party system had given the people. And then I want to tell you this when I I went to Czechoslovakia when the wall first came down because my wife's family was from there originally. And I remember seeing this guy plowing his front yard with the horse and a plow yet on top of his house he had a satellite dish and the government had just given uh, some kind of a version of a stimulus package and I asked the local why they didn't buy a rotor tiller and, and bought that instead and and he said they've for so long they only had a one one system where you could get information all from the government so um i've never forgotten that and uh to me a fair and open press is so critical to live in, for our democracy to survive. Uh, I went to the Gulf in 1991 with the 1st Armored Division. I served as a tank, tank company commander. Um, I just want to say I was very fortunate to serve under those who were junior officers in Vietnam and they swore to never let what happened to them happen under their watch. So, you know, Colin Powell was the uh, head military guy and he gave us a mission and uh, that's why we ended up there for a short period of time. I then spent three years serving as an instructor at the Army Training Center in Holmesfeld, Germany, where the opportunity worked with the Germans, the Dutch, and the French. And it reinforced my belief that we're all much more alike than we are different, although each of us has different areas of expertise. Uh, in 2000, I graduated from the Army Command and General Staff College, uh, but decided to get out of the Army, actually, after I graduated, because the Army has a socialized medical system, and because of some very poor treatment, my daughter almost lost her foot. But as lucky for me, one of the instructors at, at, at uh, CGSC was headed to Siena College and asked me to come work for him. And uh, uh, it allowed me to go in the army for more years. It was a great assignment. I learned a great deal. But then in January uh, of 2003, I retired. You know, I might've given you more than you really needed to know, but background as to why I really enjoyed this program at Albany at high school so much. <laughs>
0: Well, you certainly have a rich background to draw on. I mean, that's just remarkable, everything from jumping out of planes to being at the Gulf War, and then this idea I'd love to just hear a little more about until we plunge into your current life, which is the center of this interview, but being in Germany when the wall came down, if you could just talk a little bit more about that. I love the example you gave of the Czech farmer, still with a horse and plow, but yet the satellite so important, but you have other impressions of that time or that era and what it meant to the people there.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, I was in Erlang in Germany, which is uh, just north of uh, Nuremberg, um, and so our, our our job was the first armor division was to uh, go to the Czech border in case in case the balloon ever went up. And it's really kind of funny because a few years ago, I met this guy in um, Lenmont who was. I got he was a friend of my neighbor, and my the the, uh, the Czech Army, and stationed there about the same time I was there, and we were talking about all the great times we had in Germany. We got to meet with the people. I lived, I always lived in the economy. I never lived in government housing. And he goes, "We were so afraid of you." <laughs> <laughs> and we told the stories that we, we felt the same way. But it, you know, and then we went over when the wall came down. Um, well, here's what I tell you: I went to Czechoslovakia one time to Prague. And uh, I, I, it was right at the wall came down. There wasn't a lot of housing. So I, I went in this hotel and I came back out, and there's this guy sitting in the front seat of my car with my wife. So who's this guy? <laughs> Maybe he's my with my end now, about 60 ish. And he had a picture of, of a place he wanted to rent. He didn't speak English, but he had pictures. Well, when I was in a hotel, I met another guy who had a picture. And I, I so I, I, I said, "Hey, I'll rent your place." So the other guy was just one of his competitors. So we came to this guy's house that night, and it was on the outskirts of town. And and I, uh, I, I asked him. I, I said, um, "What's the connection with Americans here?" And he said, w- "The Americans had liberated Prague." He said he was a boy. So when the Russians came in, they rewrote the history books and they took the Americans out. He goes, "I never forgot."
0: Oh my so- gosh
1: fascinating these people um you know the other thing i tell the kids all the time you know the germans were the the richest of the eastern countries and they, they you went over there and everyone was equal but everyone had the same car those trabants that that burned the oil um you know oil and gas mixed together they had, they had it, was, it was it was um Everyone was equal, but there was no competition. So, so you know, people waited in lines. And I heard other Germans, like my landlord, they had relatives in the East. And they told me that when they went to visit their relatives, they had a BMW, probably 10 years old. This guy was a mechanic. But their nephew used to tell them the government, East, the West German government gave him that car so they could embarrass the East German government. They really didn't live like that. That wasn't their real car. They didn't live, live like that.
0: Oh my, but see
1: the, the East Germans could never come to the east basically, so they didn't they had no idea it was it was just uh I remember going to the wall and the wall first came down I went to Berlin and went to checkpoint charlie and and uh you could buy a chunk of the wall you didn't have to break it off yourself you could go up and people were the capitalist capitalism in them came out right away they they would chip it right off for You and give it to you no, it was it was absolutely amazing i i um and I, I love being in, in Germany. I mean, I was in Bavaria, um, which is a great area. Um, and a lot of them remembered the war. Like my my mother-in-law told me the first banana she ever got was from an American. Uh, she was probably 14 when the war ended. Uh, and my father-in-law was about the same age. So, uh, yeah, it was. I had a great time. I met a lot of great friends. A lot of those German friends are still in contact with me. And i love talking to them because they always give a, their perspective of what goes on in america um so it's just been a, gr- a great opportunity my daughter of course is by bi- is uh was born in germany um and then uh you know, my wife raised her bilingual um and obviously i didn't help because I, I got like a rock in my head when it comes to second languages i mean i took german twice and i took german twice in college the guy finally gave me the d and i took the same course so. <laughs> no. but i I'll, uh, Mr. Kennedy, the language you imparted upon me, it was the uh, the cultural part of Germany. So mm-hmm. I really love there, you know. Uh, anyway. No, like too-
0: that's fascinating. Well, so now just to segue fast forward in time into the current time, yeah. and um, the group that you're in charge of is called the Henry Johnson Battalion. If you could just fill us in a little, there's been, I guess, Back when Obama finally gave the Medal of Honor posthumously to Henry Johnson, there was quite a right. bit of publicity, but why is that name so important to the kids that you're working with now? Just tell us a little about Henry Johnson.
1: Well, well, the thing with me was I wanted the kids, you have to have some kind of history to something you belong to. And I wanted, you know, I, you know, when I grew up, you know, people, sports players were important, but we, we looked at, and I wasn't big into sports, but like Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, all these people, uh... Hank Aaron, they were people admired because of their, their their athletic ability. And today, what are the heroes the kids have? They're all sports players, and I'm not against sports, but it's how much money they make. And that's that's why they're a hero, not because of their ability. Mm-hmm. So, and I saw Henry Johnson. I mean, his stories is fascinating. It truly is, and you know, it shows you how to overcome obstacles, especially the races. And and so many of my kids are from the city, so I went to the 369 Veterans Group in Albany which traces his lineage to Henry Johnson. They asked if I could use that name. Mm-hmm. So had some kind of a role model to look up to, and they, they just thought that was great. So uh, that's what we've got that name. And he was a
0: soldier, an African-American soldier from Albany in World War One, who fought yes. a German raiding party in the midst of the Argonne forest right. and saved his unit. Is that right?
1: Exactly. He did. And, and you know, he came back to America and of course, racism is still is still here, and you know um, it's just a fascinating story. And what's really interesting, I asked the kids, you know, "Where is he buried?" So, you know, racism that he died in the twenties, racism is still strong in his country. Yet, when he died, he's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Hmm. So, I thought that you know, I, I talked to the kids about that. It's just a, it's a great it's just a great story to know about. And you know, how did he overcome some of these obstacles? And in some ways, he didn't overcome them because he died a kind of a lonely man because one day he just finally said I'm fed up with this stuff and he just started telling people how he really felt and he kind of became persona non grata to a lot of people. But uh, just the fact that he did all that. um, And I also tell the kids one person can make a difference. He made a difference. Um, And and so that's another reason I I have him as a role model. And the other thing is, you know, I, I ask a lot of kids who, what's Henry Johnson and the kids come into the program isn't there a street named after him? Isn't there this? They have no. They have no idea what this is. You know. I think that's important to understand all that.
0: Yeah. Well. So earlier you were telling me a little about some of the students that you teach. If you could just kind of recount some of those stories you told me, because it was so remarkable. Many of them are new to this country, and your program kind of allows them a way to um, segue into American life. If you could just kind of share some of those stories that you told me about some of the individuals that you've worked with. Well,
1: let me ask you a question. Um, To help you understand what those kids are doing, can I just tell you real quick what the program is? We got oh,
0: great idea. Sure.
1: Yeah, I guess it helps. I think it gives a background of, of what they're doing. Um, the first thing, I, I just wanted to say something. A lot of people think JROTC is an Army recruiting program. It is not. The mission statement of JROTC is to motivate young people to be better citizens. It's a citizenship and a leadership program. And I always tell this kids and their parents in particular – if you can convince another person to do the right thing you're a senior in high school and all the peer pressure's on you can lead for the rest of your life and that's what our country needs is is leaders um and and i that's what i see in these kids so i i just want to say we have classes you know five days a week and you know monday and tuesday are academic classes and wednesday thursday and friday are uh, leadership labs so for example on wednesday the kids will wear the uniform to school and other, they, they inspect each other. I mean, there's two of us working here as adults, but the kids are running it, and so they're inspecting their peers: hey, you did the right thing, the wrong thing. And Wednesday is a um, our Thursday is a uh, um, is a um, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Leadership lab day. And since they practice marching, but marching teaches public public speaking and it builds confidence. And Friday's a physical fitness day. And one of the things that, you know, they do on physical fitness is I had two kids come up to me. And say, what would you get out of the program? And they said they lost 40 pounds. I said, how did that happen? Well, one day a week. And the kid said, well, you taught us what physical fitness is and helps us with better lifestyles. Because the kids bring – I, I diff, kids diff, uh, teach whatever they want on Friday. Sometimes they come in they do yoga. They do all kinds of stuff. So I found – I never realized all that. So the program is four years. And, and what they do in the first year, you know, we teach about the flag, etiquette in formal settings, appreciating diversity, communication skills, study habit skills, goal setting, conflict resolution, health and fitness, and that's just a you know a part of what we do. I just kind of highlighted the, the big things. The second year, the kids learned about elements of leadership, what kind of leader are you? Uh, about communications once again, career considerations, first aid. Uh, we learn about the Constitution. Um, The third-year kids, it's called supervising leaders, um, how to conduct a meeting, how to manage a meeting, uh, goal setting, resume building, uh, civic duties. And the fourth-year students, they run the program, so they learn about how to teach others, how to motivate others. Um, So this gives you a background of what what we're doing in class. And then getting back to your question, who, who enrolls in this program? 40% 40% of my kids, if maybe the, are, are are true refugees. I mean, people that come from countries that you know, uh, well, you know what a refugee is, and, and Albany is a big resettlement city from the federal government. So I have kids from every continent except Australia and the South Pole. Um, many of them speak, most of them, all the refugee kids speak at least two languages. I had a kid two years ago spoke five languages, and English was his fifth language. And he was from the Congo someplace. So, um, you know, I, you know I, uh, I always tell them you know, the root cause of communications in the world is is, is is a lack of communication. So, you know, I'm a person who's all in favor of everyone speaking a common language because we can talk to each other. But these kids, that that that, that, that the languages they speak, it, it just teaches diversity in the program. So um, and I just want to tell you about our extracurricular activities because this, this is what these kids do. You know, we have a color guard. Uh, which presents the flag. We have a drill team, a marching team. We have an academic team. We have a leadership team. Uh, we go on all kinds of um, a sports building. Uh, we have a leadership camp. And one of the kids is going to tell you about is leadership camp is 300 kids go to Fort Devens. And the way they, the way they put them in groups is they go one, two, three, four, five, you're here. One, two, They don't sit there and say, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? You just put them someplace and they had to learn how to work together. And by day two, these kids are – it's unbelievable to see the friendships they built. So, um, so to tell you about some of the kids I have, um, I have three kids in particular. I'll mention because I don't have a lot of time. I could, I could talk for hours. But the first one is a young man named Francis Hung Mang. And he's from Burma. He joined the program in the second half of the 10th grade. Um, you know, he lived in a refugee camp. He told me a story one time. About, you know, what he remembers walking to the woods, uh, being in an overcredited boat that almost sank. Um, but the first program, like the second half of sophomore year, the third, so now when he's a junior, he, he joins his Raiders team, which is basically is an outdoor physical fitness team. And this kid takes we go down the, the one competition in Fort Dix, New Jersey, which is all kinds of schools the Northeast go to, and under his leadership we took first place in, the, in, in our category. And the kid who, you know, English was a second language, but the kids just follow him. Um, and then in his senior year, he earned the rank of a battalion commander with the highest rank in the, in the program. And he just gelled kids together. Now was the first year we ever had this big formal inspection by the Army. And we earned the highest award possible, which is honor you know, with distinction, which is the same rating that the two private schools in Albany that have JROTC have? Saint Lasalle we got the same rating, and I'm telling you that young man from Burma, um, he set the example. And when he got out of high school, he got a job working at night as a dispatcher for the Albany Police Department. Nine one one. He goes to school there in a the day, so he worked. I mean, he probably could have everything for free. He wanted. He doesn't believe in that, and you know he he exemplifies what JFK said. You know, ask not what your country can do for you; ask what you can do for your country. So, just a phenomenal kid. Um, the second one is a young man named Emmanuel Tay, and you're familiar with Boys State. We had, we had talked about that when your daughter went to Girls State, and uh, you know it's a program where the kids. I always tell the kids you're going to learn how government's supposed to work, not how it works. Right, so. <laughs> Emmanuel we went his junior year, and in that year we had five students from Albany High selected to go. That's the highest number of any public school in, in Albany County. Most schools get two. We had five kids win, and, and the way they work the program is they divide the, they divide the kids into two groups, the Green Party and the Orange Party, and they elect everything from the dog catcher up to the governor. So each party nominated someone for governor. So the party Emmanuel's in nominated him. To run for governor the other party nominated another kid from albany high to be governor happened to be emmanuel's best friend so they had to run against each other emmanuel won out and when he came back i told emmanuel think about this and the politics of it aside i hope you know i hope you can appreciate my sarcasm but i said emmanuel you got all the liberals in new york state to see C- a city to vote for you you got all the rednecks in Albany or upstate to vote for you and you're the African-American immigrant kid from Liberia. I said, that is a force of your personality. That's just phenomenal. And it just shows how much, you know, the great things are going on in society. And, you know, when he managed out of high school, he wanted to go in the Marine Corps. Everyone said, no, you need to go to college, 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 college. So he did it. He did what they said. He enrolled in Hudson Valley. And by November, he decided, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do in life. So he lived in the Marine Corps, did extremely well. And about early part, middle of December, I got a call from Remandrel. He's overseas deployed somewhere in the Pacific. And he said, hey, my chain of command has recommended me to go to the Naval Academy prep school. Will you write me a letter of recommendation? Mm-hmm. And it just, a couple extra bumps. This kid's a leader. He's going to do extremely well. And he's going to be a leader, whether it's nationally, locally, but he's a freaking leader. And the last one to tell you about is a young lady named Nevaeh Boyd. And she's a senior. And she's a native Albanian, so I tell her she's really special because uh, I, you know, I, I, I got a lot of students like down south, New York City, but the ones who were born in Albany, so she's special. So she joined in her in her sophomore year, but then in the, her junior year, I, I uh, so many veterans groups support us, and, and, and the American Legion's one of them. And the American Legion has an oratorical contest, and you have to talk about... Um, one of the amendments to the constitution or one of the uh uh, uh yeah heads over the constitution anyway no she was kind of a not a real outspoken young lady but she wanted to do this go speak in front of people she didn't know and i thought that was phenomenal so i got larry weiss who's a <clears throat> excuse me larry's the uh commander of north of american legion post very interesting career went to west point was a special forces soldier in vietnam when he got out of the army, he went to work at the South Mall and was pouring concrete. And then a guy named um, one of his friends down there convinced him you need to go to law school. So he went to Syracuse Law School, graduated, and um, the rest was history. He retired as assistant DA from Albany County from remember, a couple of years ago now. Um, he coached—I don't want to mention names here—but he he coached someone who currently serves in Congress as her debate coach, when she was in high school. Anyway, Nevaeh Boyd won the Albany County Contest under Larry's guidance, and she won $1,000 to go with it. So, you know, she's just another – and now she's applying either to Siena or to uh, St. Rose. She wants to be a teacher, wants to stay local, and hopes to teach in Albany High School eventually. So, um, you know, the key to the success in this whole program is teamwork. Um, You know, I have kids in this program that are – Real smart, you know, they take AP classes. And I've got kids, if they went to class, they'd probably have a better chance of passing. And I've got students who are physical fitness fanatics. You know, th- th- this is their life. And I've got students who think that physical fitness is not using the remote, turn a TV off. And they all come together and, 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 they, and they dwell in it. They suck the strength from each other. And it, it's great. Hey, the bottom line for us is we have a, our attendance rate is 10% higher than a school in, on average. And these are the schools, the school, game, these numbers, these aren't the ones that I came up with and our uh, academic pass rates even better than that. So, you know, I asked the kids every year to write why they join and their most common answer for joining. I find this very interesting is I needed self-discipline and the other one was I wanted to build confidence. When you ask the kids why they stay though, it comes back we're a team. I've learned how to lead. I meet people I've never known and we're so diverse. And, uh um, thing i want to say is, you know why is the program a success the kids run it it's not me i give them you know the other guy i work with who's just a phenomenal person to work with um we let them run it peer pressure you know they, they control each other we have a high standard and for example if you're in the program you can't have it you can't get any awards ribbons nothing if you don't have a 90 percent attendance rate in all classes and the way i count attendance is if you're tardy it's the same thing as being absent i don't i don't really care i don't want to hear reasons Excuse for not being there? No uh, excuse, but um, a valid reason for missing class. I, mean, I don't count that against you. So, if the kids want to get in the bus, if, if you're not, if you're not 90 percent you're off the bus. You can't go. Well, you'd be surprised how, how much of a change of attitude it has. And it's all awesome. math class counts. English in classes you don't like, you still got to go. So that's why it goes up. So, what I just want you know, the key is we have such a diverse group. And yet, these kids—they just inspire me. I go to work every day, and I always negative stuff. I think what we need to do is bring a whole bunch of politicians from Washington or wherever else, bring them over to the school, and let the kids instruct them for a weekend. Tell you what, be-
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway, I'll be quiet now. You're probably going to make me more questions, but I, I just want to. No, kind of-
0: this has been wonderful. I we've used up almost all our time. But one thing, especially with your last comment, that interests me. You said. Part of the requirements are learning about the Constitution, and I feel yeah. that especially these days, that's so important. Just if you could talk a little bit about why that's part of the curriculum and how the kids take that in.
1: Well, it's, it's like I said, the mission statement is to motivate young people to be better citizens. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, government works. You know what are you going to do? So, you know, I, just one quick example is two years ago, I, I gave the kids a class on how the jury system works. And I had, we had a fake trial. And a small group had them take votes and explain how, how, how that system works. And if everyone's not involved, it's not going to work. I uh, did the one on, I, I talked to you about the, the, um, uh, the flag burning uh, thing. And we had a class, and I asked kids, okay, who's on what side? And, he, and the, the kid from uh, Burma Francis he was dead set against it if you burn the flag you know you should be hung from a tree type of guy right he wasn't that far off but... and these other young lady, she, she wasn't she didn't really think it was a good idea but didn't think we should put people in jail for it. So we had a little trial over it you know and I, I used a, what the program the army gave me and let them decide and I had a little jury. so they learned about how, how laws are changed a little bit um, and yet they left the classroom and they were still friends they didn't they didn't take anything personally. And that's so. That's what the citizenship part is: learn to talk and listen as well as you can talk, and 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 they all they all just work together. It's it's. I, I've had I think I had maybe one little bit of a fight in a room a couple of years. Ago. I tell the kids I said this is your program, and uh, you know, you got you got to accept each other. And I, some of them, especially the ones that come from overseas, and they've grown up in countries they don't have the the rights they have here. They they really understand better. They they they. I had a girl a few years ago. Um, she was in Pakistan. I really admired her for taking this class. And she had an English name. And I remember she'd sit in class, and if people started to complain, and why they couldn't do this, why they could. She just stare at them, and like she like to burn a hole through. Them. I told, and I don't think she realized the power she had. Over, over by the time she was a senior, I think she understood. So when I see those kids, they have such an influence on everyone. Um, Right. We have a picnic every year. I'll, just, I'll invite you to it. And you know what we do is we have food from all over the world, except for the South Australia. And you know, in the North, the American Legion posts, they let us use their facilities. They cook. We do the American, you know, hot dogs and apple pie thing. And they, but the kids bring something homemade. And uh, the table is like 20 feet long, about four feet wide, and it's just phenomenal to watch. You know, the parents come. You know, Grandma Jones comes or whatever. However they. Say in Burmese, but you know it, it, it's uh, it's great. And someday when they we're back in school, I'd love to have you come down just do for yourself on a weekday when the kids are in class and the way they operate. It's it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, your enthusiasm is contagious. <laughs> I I feel like this is. Are you somebody that's a natural teacher, or did you just come into this because of your commitment to the military and what it could do?
1: Well, you know, I, I think the Army, the Army was a great experience for me. You know, I always remember, I, I keep in touch with a lot of guys. When I was in Erlang in Germany, my first, I was a leader, but then my tank crew, there was three other guys on. The one guy was Miguel Hernandez, who I, I, just, I just talked to last month. And he, he was uh, 17 years old when he joined the Army. He had never left New York City. His parents are from Puerto Rico, right? Mm-hmm. His friend in the Army is this guy named Kettner from so far back in the hills of North Carolina, they pumped in sunshine. <laughs> and they still laugh about it today, but kettner said, kettner told Miguel one day, he "Goes, you know, for Puerto Rican, you're not a bad guy." Now kettner probably didn't know what Puerto Rico was on the map. To be very honest, you know, but in the military they shove you together. We don't want to hear about why you're going to argue. How are you going to work together? And you know, and that's what I and so got into this program. Um, it's the last thing I ever thought of doing, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, next thing in the army. Um, I have fun going to work every day. And the school is so supportive of me, um, from the superintendent on down, and then all these veterans groups in Albany, they're always there to do something for the kids. You know, I, I have one guy. Let gets get the phone out of here. Turn off. Um, I have one guy. He's an Albany high grad. And he comes in, you know, not right now, but normally he's like 70. He comes in once, two or three times a week and just sits and talks to the kids. So I'm, I'm connecting the kids with grandma and grandpa's there a lot of kids don't have that locally and then, and he comes in and his wife thinks it's great she says it keeps them out of trouble she says <laughs> And i'm trying to get more people to do that um just the kids have mentors so it's just a phenomenal program on um, that um I, you know the, the, the future is bright i'm telling you it might be a tough day right now because of covid and blah 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 but in the end if you had a chance to be around these kids every day, you would see why I could be enthusiastic. And I, and I tell the kids that. I keep telling them. I also tell them, it's a civics lesson, but I say I want every one of you to be super, super successful. I say, you know what that is? All you like is no, because I'm going to retire someday. If you don't make a lot of money, my Social Security won't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> over their head but I also teach it to them because how do these systems work? And one of the things we teach in JROTC is a, we have a financial planning thing we do, and we talk about Social Security. I said, "Well, who, who do you think fixes the roads? Where that money come from?" The tree? I said, "The money, like I said in my letter, the, the money for the is printed on from the tree, but you got to pay taxes. It's a responsibility you have, and you know." And we, so we talk about that all the time. It's just it's, it's such an all-encompassing program that. um You can't help but have a good time every day.